Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors, two-part series. Mr. J-O-N and Mr. J-O-N are back again. John Randall, thanks for uh, coming on board and being a guest again today. Hey, it's always great to be on. I'm excited to get into part two of this really important topic around leveraging other advisors, associate advisors on your team. This could be my first part two, by the way. I, I don't know that I've ever done a part two. And I don't know why I don't do more part twos because there's always <laughs> more to talk about. And then we, we kind of move on, right? <laughs> um, so, John, just you know, as a summary, uh, you know, last episode, uh, you were kind enough to share uh, a bunch of really valuable data around helping advisors think about their growth trajectory, um, you know, how to create more capacity in their business by hiring uh, you know, junior advisors. You hit a little bit about the diamond team model. Uh, as well. And I think you and I had a little, you know, a good conversation just around, you know, kind of the timing, right? The timing of what's going on with the headwinds of the market today and making sure that if an advisor chooses to build out a larger team uh, within their business and have, you know, one or more multiple advisors, that they actually have to be ready to truly be the CEO work on organic preferably and maybe some inorganic growth but how to do it in a profitable way and i think you know part of thinking through how to do it in a profitable way what i thought would be really you know interesting for our listeners today is to just kind of think about the economics of it and as you build out a larger team what you're finding in the industry is appropriate pay incenting pay um, for the, the, you know, the additional members of the team. And then I thought maybe we could think through that a little bit um, and, and think about what that actually means to the profit margin of a practice when you go from lifestyle practice, yeah. you know, solopreneur, right, um, yep. to more of a, you know, early ensemble, um, because I do think there's an impact there. And I think advisors, uh, I find a lot, don't know how to actually structure compensation uh, and don't know how to fully understand the business they've built and as it's resegmented, what that means to their profitability. Yeah, in, in employing others is an interesting concept. Um, to get good people and keep good people, you should be erring on the side of generosity. Uh, I always tell people that the pain of, of not having someone or losing somebody good is far greater than giving up, you know, a couple extra bucks. But um, it, it's a delicate balance where you've got to maintain profitability for your business. And um, there are going to be some investment points in your firm. But like we talked about last time, you can overcome those quickly. Likely, you've got a capacity issue. Investing in somebody can help you overcome that. And it should be about how can you do more with clients? How can you attract new clients to get a return on the investment you're making and adding somebody really great to your team? Agreed. So um, I'm going to just pepper you with some questions, John. I think that's the best way to do it today. Okay. 
And, I, and if it's okay with you, we're going to go a little rapid fire. Uh, I think this could be a short one for our, our, our two-port series, but I want to get a, a bunch of things off of my mind and get your input, and then I'll add any color that I have, right? So first question I have for you is, okay, so I'm an advisor thinking about doing this, right? I want to grow beyond myself, become more of a CEO, all that kind of good stuff. Um, what's the revenue level of a business that you think an advisor should start to think about making that investment where they've probably reached their own capacity? How many clients, what revenue? Yeah, I really think from a revenue standpoint, you're in that, you know, probably crossing over a million range because remember last time we talked about a million to 1.5 million is kind of the sound barrier, just, just depending on the number of clients and um, uh, amount of just average revenue that typical client kind of produces. That's usually the range we, we start to see that, you know, if you're much smaller at a half million, it's kind of hard to just to have enough firepower to you know make a living. You're probably more like admin support. So that's the range to start looking for an advisor. Completely agree. So, and my personal opinion is it's, um, you start thinking about it at around a million, but somewhere between say a million two and a million five is where we you're really have to do it or, or you can't grow. Yeah, right? yeah you'll just get stuck. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, love it. So second question, um, in helping advisors do this, right? When you bring in that, that junior advisor, you give up, I'm working with every client personally, although you still might be a little involved in the transition process, right? Mm -hmm. To the new junior advisor. Um, do you find typically, and I'm sure it might differ, but does revenue of the practice go up or down gross revenue? Does it get, forget about the markets, of course, but does, do you find that the, you know, the, the revenue per client now goes up because the junior advisor has more time and capacity and goes deeper? Or do you find that the revenue goes down because the skill set of, you know, the, the, the patriarch or matriarch of the business is likely going to be more capable from a sales acumen than, you know, than the, the new junior advisor? Well, most of my sampling's biased because this is on all the, the people we work with in, in a, you know, a coach gets all relationship. So we usually see massive growth because you know, remember capacity is the issue. You get somebody in to help get you freer at the top. There's tons more you could do at the top and you do more with them, you get referrals at the top. And you're right, you get somebody that actually has time to dig in with these smaller clients, engage them with more. It really should be, you really should be thinking about return on investment in somebody. So we see a pretty quick uh, surge in growth from those two elements, the advisor doing more with the smaller people and the you know owner or lead advisor doing more with the top people. Love it. Well said. I'll give the other side of that. I've seen both most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I've done yeah. this in coach. <laughs> it gets better uh, for all the reasons that you said. A piece to dig in on is um, I think advisors, and I'd love your opinion on it, sometimes make the mistake, I'll say, of not understanding the segmentation of their own business well enough. So as an example, advisor does a million two in, in revenue, they've got 250 you know, families, and they decide to go give, you know, XYZ junior advisor, 100 of those families, right? But those hundred of those families of the 1.2 million, I think I said of GDC, represented a hundred thousand of the 1.2 million of revenue. Does that make sense? So 
when they look at their segmentation, they don't necessarily realize that the top 30% of their business might represent 80%. So of those 250 clients, the top 75 might represent 80% of their revenue. Yeah. Um, so therefore, they've hired this person to take on more responsibility, but the clients that they are passing along to this junior advisor are more like customers than they are clients. Any yeah. thoughts there? Yeah, it, and it's, it's I mean, look, it, it's a great place for somebody to, you know, cut their teeth on it, <laughs> right? And people are going to leave like we talked about last time. They're, they're probably at the bottom. It's not a big deal. But um, I, 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 I mean, you're, you're just hitting on understanding segmentation. It's it's a word that flings around, but I think it's a, it's a miss a lot of times to really know these numbers. It's pretty astounding how a lot of practices, the bottom half, half, of clients produces low single digits of total production. You know, if you have this data or you can produce this data, it's pretty astounding how much your top 10% produces, how little your bottom half produces. And it can be a time suck. And to get away from those customers, as you put it, and, you know, invest your time at the top. I mean, that's really the whole key of this. It's, it's the quality of your investment of time in the business. That's really the only difference I see in someone doing 1 million to 2 million, 2 million to 5 million, 5 million to 50 million, like John Cotton. I mean, it, it's the quality of investment and time that you're really shifting here. You know, that's what you should be thinking about to get a return investment on this. But uh, it's certainly, you know, a journey. It does, it's not a, a, a flipping the light switch on and off. It, it's sure. certainly, you know, a customized journey that you're going to go through. And um, it, it's different for most. Yeah. So, so I, and I asked that question, I'm kind of setting you up a little bit, right? So, you know, the, 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 when you understand client segmentation and you just look at the business as a business person, um, what I find more often than not is exactly what you said, right? So then the question becomes, right, is it supernova, which we've, you and I have talked a little bit about on this show, yep. right? Meaning maybe we don't need uh, additional junior advisor, right? And this is where I think you really need to know what you want for yourself yes. as a leader yes. is do I trim the size of my client base, only work with the, the creme de la creme, but keep it tight and keep replicating my best clients over and over and raise my minimums, et cetera, which has been a big part of our industry for years. Or do I, to your point, let someone cut their teeth running a hundred or 200,000 of revenue knowing that my cost is going to go up because I now need to pay that person 100,000 or 150 with Benny's or whatever. And I want to talk a little bit about that with you as well. Yeah. Um, so in essence, what I did is I, you know, gave away some revenue for someone else to run as a training ground. Um, they're getting trained, they're getting experience, could be really good for the long-term future, but I had to pay someone to do that and that revenue that I provided to them with customers, not clients, there may or may not be a lot of lift, in which case it could, and I found does, in many cases, affect your profit margin. Yeah, yeah. And you nailed, there's really two paths. If you look at the largest firms in the industry, they're, they're, it's really this, let's keep it tight and be more of a boutique firm, or let's build a lot of volume. I coach many people that that really take that, um, Ron Knapp supernova advisor approach of let's have a, a, a plane with a hundred first class seats. So if two people are going to get on, then two people got to get off. 
and, and really, I mean, they cleanse every year. They're shedding off clients. They're selling them. They're cashing a little bit of equity. Um, some have even developed a, if they come across somebody who's not a fit, they'll refer them to somebody else. Maybe have a little revenue sharing on, on those. But I mean, I've got some practices that are up to like two millions that are minimum. And they're working with 100 clients that level. They're doing multiple millions with a small number of clients, small number of team. It's super profitable. That is an interesting model. I mean, it really can be. But I think that's really the crossroads that if you're really going to grow and do multiple millions in this industry, you got to decide, are you going to be boutique, be everything to a small number of people at the top, duplicate them, you know, get more people in your, your first class seat plane, or are you going to scale? and be more of a, a volume, which, you know, there's many of, we, we've got many huge practices that do eight figures in revenue that have a ton of just, you know, half million dollar clients. And they're like, you know what, we'll service them all day long. And we're going to service thousands of them. And we're going to bring in advisors and go that route. But that's a personal decision for, for everyone listening. And it, it, it being caught in between at some point, you're going to have to decide which kind of firm you're going to be boutique, small number of clients, keep it tight or scale and really have a lot of volume of clients. So Johnny, where do you actually, um, if we go to profit margin, right? Um, and again, it comes down to what you enjoy doing, what do you wanna be when you grow up, all that kind of stuff. What's your, you know, what's your passion as an advisor? But just be capitalist for a minute, right? When you think EBITDA, you think profit, which do you think creates a better overall profit margin based on your experience in working and coaching with both types of advisors? So the, the, um, according to, um, I, I buy a lot of the investment news studies on our industry are, are great. They had a, a profitability and compensation um, uh, study out, which I buy every year. They indicated the average profit margin of a firm in our industry is about 52%. So it's a sampling of all of them. So I've seen these boutique firms have like a 70 some percent profit margin, really high when it's a you know small number of staff, small number of expenses, small number of clients, doesn't take a lot to do. Um, I've seen these you know high volume businesses that you know their profit margin is more like an employee firm payout where it's like, you know, 40% maybe, or uh, some, you know, or even high thirties, which you look at employee, um, uh, you know, payout grids, if you work for, you know, in, in the many employee firms out there, it's usually thirties, maybe capping at low 40% is what those firms are paying because they have a lot of the expenses that, that they're taking on. So, you know, but, but two, it's, it's thinking about, you know, are you going to have a higher percentage of a smaller pot? You know, for a lot of people, they're going to have a ceiling for what they can really grow to. There's, there's not, I mean, there's advisors out there that have eight figure clients, but there's not a lot of them. You know, most advisors have like, you know, a smaller number of clients with over a million. So they're kind of more in this, you know, capacity game. So yeah, it's a smaller profit margin when you're scaling. And if you're acquiring, there's a whole nother level of, of debt services, you know, part of the, the profit margin while you're, you know, paying off loans. But, um, you know, it, it can be a larger net dollar amount, in a scaled model, even though it's a lower percentage, but, you know, just as far as percentages go, I mean, boutiques are pretty high and, yep. you know, scaling is just going to be lower naturally. Yeah. Nope. Completely aligned with that. And, and you know, it's interesting. Um, and, and again, I'm bringing up these questions because I'm thinking through all this myself right now. So um, <laughs> I'm kind of picking your brain as we go, but um, 
you know, we we've scaled in a mass way in our wealth management firm and in analyzing my own client segmentation. The interesting part is, is we've got big, right? We now actually have the ability to run a boutique firm with the best clients in the firm. And I believe improve the client experience and improve the profit margin, improve advisor satisfaction and really just get better at everything because we've gotten big enough to ultimately do that. Um, it was a lot of hard work and a lot of risk and a lot of, you know, a lot of figuring things out along the way to ultimately do that. Um, but it's something that, you know, hindsight is an amazing thing that I look back sometimes and I go, man, if I were to do things over, um, I don't think I would do it the way I did it. Mm. I, I actually think um, as much as I love it and I love the business that I built, um, at the end of the day, um, I actually believe simple eloquence is a pretty darn good thing uh, with rapid growth. I, simple yes. elegance for me personally, and that doesn't mean it's the same for everyone, right? But if, if you're more of a leadership CEO type person and that's what you want, that's who's building ensemble businesses, right? Let's face it. If you're right, happy right. as a lifestyle practice, you know, God bless and keep it simple and, yeah. uh, you know, run a boutique business. And, you know, I, I've, I've now acquired some uh, simple, elegant boutique businesses. And when you get inside, you're like, man, 15, 20 hours a week making, you know, two and a half million dollars. That's a pretty darn good business. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I've, yeah. I've been lucky to get inside of some of them now. And my mindset has shifted a little bit from advisors running the bottom 50% of a book to advisors running, having only as many advisors as you need to run the top 50% of yes. the book. And yes. I love your plane analogy before, right? That kind of, you know, first class only plane, um, et cetera. And, and again, in my case, I'm building a division that's separate to run the bottom 50% of the book, but just right. in a different experience it's coach it's it, it it might not be uh exactly first class so anyway um the other thing i wanted to hit john is what are you seeing comp wise right so just some rules of thumb when you're thinking about junior advisors and practices you know i'm sure it also varies a little bit by geography but you know what is what are they earning is it incentive based is it salary based is it payout rate based 1099 w2 like what are you seeing most often and uh, what do you think, in, if you have an opinion? Yeah, generally, most often we're seeing W-2 salaries. Um, the way a lot of us start of like, eat what you kill, you know, kind of scenario. Look, most people fail, right? Most people failed out of the business, which is why firms don't do, don't do that anymore. So don't do that to people, you'll, you'll lose them. So definitely salaries. Um, I'm literally reading from the uh, investment news study salary ranges for every single different position in a firm. But when you get into that newer advisor, they're licensed, they're you know not ready to work with clients on their own. They're making in the range of about sixty to eighty, you know, with sixty nine thousand being the median comp for that. When someone gets to that, you know, if you think back to our um, diamond team analogy, the third base advisor where they're starting, you know, they can handle client meetings on their own. 
that's where we start to see the crossover to six figures. So the range is about 80 to about 120 with, you know, 98 being the median there, you know, just right at the brink of six figures for that kind of advisor. Um, look, a, a lead advisor that can just, you know, run complete client relationships on their own. They might be at the top of a, a diamond team in your structure. You know, we're seeing about, you know, 120 to 220 being the range with about 160, kind of be in the median, which you know, relates to the book uh, Ensemble Practice, which we both talk a lot about, John. Uh, they said, you know, that book is about 10 years old now. They said it's about 150 is the, the average, um, you know, what the advisor role is worth. So that's really, you know, moving them up the ranks to that level. Um, so that's a get them there. Of course, you know, there's incentives, which, you know, is a whole nother thing, which should be there tied to growth. But just from like a, a base comp, you know, that's a lot of what the industry is, is suggesting. And again, these are W-2 salaries at these positions. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's exactly what we're finding. I think all those numbers make make a ton of sense. I think to the listeners, the part that you need to think through as well is when John says 100,000 or 120 or 150, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, John, but that's a base salary. There might be 20% or so incentive bonuses on top of that. Absolutely. I assume these people are W-2 generally, yep. right? So yep. Yep. payroll tax, health insurance, potentially 401k match if you have right. one. It's a lot more costs on top of that. That's right. Yeah. Like real estate compliance fees, depending on mm -hmm. you know what type of firm you sit at, whether you're an RIA or an independent BD. So when you say 120 salary, right, it sounds to me like all in, that could be a number like 180,000 of total costs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yep. And, yep. And that's, John, the point I wanted to call out is I think advisors make this mistake is they go, great, I'm going to pay this person 120,000. I'm going to assign them 250,000 of revenue because yeah. I want to make it a training ground and so they need to cut their teeth somewhere. 250 in revenue, right, at an industry standard 90% payout rate turns into 225. 225 after 100 and what do we say, 80,000 of expenses a minute ago, yeah. it's a $45,000 profit. Now, here's the interesting part. While the advisor was running that business before they segmented and brought on a junior, right? They were absorbing those clients. They weren't leaving the clients. They might not have been giving them all the love and attention that the first class deserves, but these clients might be coach customers, right? And then ultimately, um, you know, the way I look at it, you went from having 250,000, I think I said in revenue at a 90% payout, 225,000 of profit to what we just determined to be 40,000 in profit, yeah. right? So you, you yeah. cut your profit margin by, you know, call it $180,000, which is fine if you're now going to have more time with your best clients to grow the relationship. The advisor that you assign those clients to is going to grow the relationship and you actually have a plan in place to grow that you exactly. can back up. Exactly. And that's, ju that's just the piece that I see dabblers out there, right? That are going, I want to be, you know, like so-and-so, right? A, a big advisor, but they don't always understand all the unintended consequences of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just curious to hear your, your thoughts. You're right. That. You've got to have a game plan. How can you make that 180,000 investment 
a profit on that as quickly as possible? What's your timeline to turn a profit on it? Because look, there's going to be points you have to make an investment in your, your business, to your will, but it should be short-term. It could be, how can it become a return on that investment quickly? You know, what are the exact strategies that are going to help you do more with clients, duplicate top clients to make up that investment? It, it, it can be done, but, you know, you get that you know, that advisor making what you described there, you know, maybe they move up to about, you know, 150 in a base and, you know, your total cost of 225, maybe 250 with bonuses, employer costs on top of it. But if we get, get, get them running, you know, 200 clients and get them generating a million in revenue for your firm, then you've got a, you know, really nice margin on it, but there's going to be a point that you're going to be building up to it. And that's the, that's the tough point where you're nailing it. It's where advisors go wrong, they say this isn't working out and you let this person go, you know, it's where you got to be careful of you've got to make an investment, you've got to get a return on the investment and build upon it to make this work for your practice. Super well said, I, you know, Johnny, um, I, I, I've been using the term my own practice, right? Growth, plateau, growth, right? Stolen from somebody's book that I don't know who to give credit to, <laughs> not, not, my, not my own uh, words, right? Um, but I think one of the things that advisors that want to grow ensemble practices probably need to understand is that your growth may stagnate for a year or two or three as you get out of the, I'm working with all the clients myself, but the business isn't organically growing quick enough to now I have time and that time that I was using being too busy with clients, I can now focus back on what I did 10 years ago, right, which was organically grow the business, deepen relationships, get more referrals, partner with CPAs in the community, find acquisition opportunities, uh, and doing all of those things. So I've got an idea, Mr. Randall. Um, I think we should make this a three-part series if you're up for it. I love and I it. think what we should do is we should talk a little bit um, about if you're thinking about going from solo practitioner to ensemble practice, what are some of the things that you'll want to make sure you start to kind of heat up inside of the business, or at least as a business plan, so yeah. that if and when you do this, if you choose to do this, um, you know what you're signing up for, and you know the levers that you're going to actually need to pull uh, in order to make it profitable and how long it will take to get profitable. Absolutely. And we can even get into, um, you know, incentives with, you know, the team, maybe not just the advisor, but others on the team, which will tie to this too, but you're right. How do you get a return on this investment? What should your game plan be? It's a great part three. Stay tuned. Stay tuned is right. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'll end on this note. Um, I'm a little concerned at advisors who just want to grow because they want to grow right and they don't understand exactly what they're signing up for leading other people etc you know having to organically grow and i think the exasperation of a difficult economy is a, could be a recipe for some advisors um that they need to that they need to think before they jump um and hopefully uh and again i'm not trying to tell people they shouldn't do it um, just trying to share experience because I bought businesses and hired advisors in 2008, right? Yeah. And it stunk, by the way. <laughs> it stunk and we muddled through. Um, but man, there were some learnings you know, from that as well that maybe we could share. So, hey, John, thanks again uh, for joining us here for another episode 
Uh, again, we know where to find you, John Randall, Dynamic Directions. Uh, all that kind of good stuff we'll put it in the show notes. To our listeners, thanks for joining another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Hope you found today valuable. Uh, if you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest for our show, uh, please shoot us a note and please make it an amazing day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.